It's the Heart of Educational Psychology podcast with your host, Dr. Michelle Tishy. Dr. Michelle Tishy, and this is the Heart of Educational Psychology, a podcast on the best of education, psychology, and related fields for educators, coaches, counselors, and parents. And today, I have the honor of having Nicole McDonald here with me to talk about raising confident teenage girls and just in general raising our girls in the world that we live in. So, First, welcome, Nicole, and second, I would love to have you introduce yourself to the audience and share with us a little bit about who you are and how you got here. Hi, well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am Nicole McDonald, and I am a licensed clinical social worker and a parent coach. And how did I get here? Well, I um, am the mom of three uh, daughters, all teenagers at the same time. They're now what I like to call successfully grown for whatever that might mean. <laughs> and um, in doing that, you know, being a clinical social worker um, and raising my own daughters, I also have worked for 18 years in a high school. So I've had extensive contact with so many families and so many teenage girls. It seems to be my shtick. I feel like I'm sometimes the teen whisperer where I can walk into a room and five minutes have them spilling their guts and in the most wonderful and honoring way. So, um, you know, that's how I, I kind of got to where I'm at and where I started to um, branch off into like my own private practice. And um, I worked in an emergency room for nine years per diem. And then I started really dis- discovering that I was gifted with all this information from these teenage girls, my own and the ones I worked with. And there was like this missing connection for the moms. And like, I had it, like I often was in a session and thinking, oh my gosh, I just have to get this information to these moms and, and their own journey would be so much easier. And they would, um, they would just know what to do. If they knew what these kids were really needing, they would do it. There's, there's not a mom out there that wouldn't do it just to, to love their child and, and to get on the right path and to break through those walls. So that's when I started working online and I, I'm, you know, now love my work as a parent coach where I work with moms of teenage daughters and I very quickly help them kind of go from this chaos and drama and disconnect to this amazing connection um, where they're, they're seeing that, you know, like I, like I saw in, in my sessions was the smallest, the smallest change, the smallest, the smallest um, little different way you show up and how that impacts your teens and how they show up differently. And all of a sudden you're walking a different path. So that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's how I got here um, to be on your show today. <laughs> so tell me a little more about your own daughters, just because you, I would love to know how old they are and did they ever cause you any challenges? As uh, never. <laughs> they were beautiful and wonderful. Now, um, I have right now, my oldest is 31. My middle is 20. She'll be 29. And my baby is a junior in college. 
So did they ever cause me any harm or heartache or trouble? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, and, and, and that's another reason why I, I decided to, to do what I do is because like, if I'm so trained and I'm having these problems, everybody must be having these problems. At one point I, you know, I'm thinking of, of what I just talk generally, so I don't embarrass her, but you know, I felt like I was losing my daughter. I think at each, with each of them, you, you kind of reach a point where you kind of think, oh gosh, am I losing her in a different way? Um, and, but I really was, we were fighting, we were unable to connect. Everything I said was the wrong thing. I was walking on eggshells, um, you know, and I kept, you know, I'm tenacious. So I kept going back with a different approach and a different approach. And um, if anybody knows anyone who, who is in our field, psychology, uh, social work, counseling, you know, the way we tackle a problem is, you know, I'd be up at two in the morning and every single psychological book or self-help book that I had was all over my bed with a chart for this and a chart for that and a reward system for this. And, and I'd wake my husband at the time and I'd say, it's okay, I've come up with a plan. And then it would fall apart <laughs> because it was more about, you know, meeting my need and my control and, and, and attacking it from my lens. And until I learned to really attack it from her lens or try to understand her lens, I was stuck. I was stuck in the same pattern of banging my head against the wall, further distancing myself from them. And it was really, you know, it's heartbreaking. And so, and it's heartbreaking to see so many people do that when really all any of us need in life is to really have someone see things through our lens. Absolutely. Let's, let's go there. And you okay. know, I, I, I have a 16 year old daughter, so this is very personal to me. I'm the oldest uh -huh. of three girls. Um, and so I've been there as an oldest sister, as well as now a mother of teenage daughters. Uh -huh. um, and so I, I was really excited to interview you, Nicole, because I think this is the type of wisdom that everybody who raises girls really needs to hear. So let's look at what does it mean for us to really see things from our daughter's lens, from their perspective? Well, I think that, you know, if... I always say that if, you know, when we get frazzled, if we just remember if we're coming from a place of love, we're going to end up coming out on the right side, right? We have to always, you know, always kind of when you're going to approach or, or have a discussion with them, I always try to stop myself or tell people to stop yourself and make sure, am I doing this in love? Am I coming from a place from love? Because if you do come from a place of love, when you get triggered and you will get triggered, there's not a single one of us that isn't going to get triggered by our daughters because it's, it's, that's, that's for another time, but we're going to get triggered, right? So if you're coming from a place of love, you'll stop yourself and you'll go, okay, I love her. Okay. I want her to know I love her. And I think that it's important to always remember that every single one of us, every human being needs to feel seen, heard, understood, and loved. And being understood, they actually have, have done um, studies that show that being understood actually activates like parts of our brain that are rewarding parts of our brain. And if you feel 
if you feel misunderstood, it activates the opposite, right? So you feel, you feel disconnected. You feel all the negative emotions with feeling isolated, disconnected, and you feel socially connected if you feel understood, or at least that someone's trying to understand you. And teenage years are haunted for generations, for, for thousands of years, I'm sure, by feeling misunderstood. And the parents also walk that journey and they feel misunderstood. So I, I think that when, to answer your question is, leave your baggage at the door. And it's easy for me to say, but we have to start with understanding that we have baggage. We have to start with understanding we have to leave our reactions, our responses, our needs at the door and kind of go in with a blank mind coming from love and, and, and maybe just say to them, I think just saying, I need to understand this. I've done a really bad job understanding this. And I've come to each situation with you needing you to understand me. But as your mom, as mm -hmm. your parent, I'm going to try my best right now to leave that at the door and understand you. And I give you permission to tell me, hey, mom, you're bringing your baggage back in during this conversation. <laughs> You know, and you'll be surprised what they'll do. And sometimes I learned this actually, I'm sorry if I'm going on too much, I can be verbose. Sometimes the best thing to do, and I learned this from a teenager, the best thing to do when talking to other teens, and excuse my language, is to just say, wow, that sucks. Yes. That's all you need to do. And then they keep talking and then they feel understood. What, you know, that's really powerful, this idea of making sure that our teens are seen, heard, understood, and loved. And mm -hmm. um, I, I love the idea of setting as hard as it is, setting mm -hmm. our baggage aside so we can mm -hmm. fully be present with them. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I've been recently doing a lot of work um, helping people with the idea of presence with their children. But I think mm -hmm. with teenagers, this is even more um, of a necessity, right? Our teenage girls need us to be fully present with them, even if it's just for a handful of minutes. It's not yeah. like we have to set four hours aside to tackle conversations with our teenage girls. If we can right. have five or 10 minutes, right, of mm -hmm. absolute understanding and presence with them, we can mm -hmm. open up that line of communication. Oh. Absolutely. And that's what all of us need is that open line of communication, you know, and they need it so desperately. And, you know, that's, that's where I really started working on, on moms because, you know, we call it the identified patient, any of us in the biz <laughs> that like work with families is they, you, you know, you come to me and say, fix my daughter and I can fix your daughter for sure, but I'm going to fix your daughter a lot faster if I'm working with you if I'm working with the mom and it's, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing. And for me as a mom, I think back, like when I was raising my daughters, I might be a little insulted by hearing that, you know, like, what do you mean? You know, she's the one, she's the one. Um, and so I understand that, but I have seen the speed in which families can heal. If I'm working with the mom where instead of bending these teens to our will, I, I just give mom all the school, the skills and the tools that she needs to really lead her family with love, which is what my, you know, my whole business is called leading with love parenting revolution, because it just a few 
skills and, and moms can absolutely redefine their family, completely change the path they're on. Absolutely. And I don't know if you do any work with nonviolent communication specifically or mindfulness work specifically, mm -hmm. but a lot of this is bringing up for me the, the power of um, bringing in some of those practices, being able to bring in present moment awareness in the form of mindfulness of some sort, mm -hmm. as well as really intentionally switching the way we communicate as a family to um, nonviolent communication and heart-centered communication. Absolutely. And, and yes, mindfulness, I think it's so key. And I'm so, it's so wonderful that it's becoming such a mainstream word where most people, when they come into my office or they're, you know, or in my online program, they've heard of it. They have some experience with it, you know, um, and even their, their teens, you know, even mindfulness yoga practices, they're showing that yoga practices now have a, as, as great, if not more an impact than medication on, on helping people. So being able to be in a uncomfortable situation and calm yourself and stay completely present is the key to success with teenage girls, right? Because any, any twitch, any kind of eye roll, any kind of body language that, that might indicate that you are um, judging or, or not really hearing their side is going to shut them down. So, so that's a huge part, absolutely, you know, on so many levels. Absolutely. So, and do you do any work with nonviolent communication or I can give a little plug for it? <laughs> Go ahead, do a little plug for it. I think I do, I do a lot um, of, of that. Do your plug and then I'll talk. Okay, about it. <laughs> so from the audience that's not familiar with it, um, a man by the name of Marshall Rosenberg came up with a concept and a very formal system for shifting our way of communicating to nonviolent communication. And it really is focused on the idea of that we observe and we express how we feel, but we do not engage in what we would call triggering language. And we really shift away from pointing fingers or accusing other people and rather take ownership over what we observe, what we feel, what we need, and what what we are actually requesting of the other person. And I, I am someone who's studied nonviolent communication, but finds it challenging at times as a parent. Um, and I, a lot of what you're talking about, Nicole, really brings to mind the necessity for us to try to bring those practices to the forefront in our parenting. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's so important. And I think I think it, it, it really is, it, how do I want to say this? Like, it's different for each family, as any practice would be, right? So I'm just thinking um, of a, a mom that I'm working with currently. Mm -hmm. And for her, that nonviolent communication had to be as simple as a, her and her young child were so at odds with each other. It had to be as simple as, we are not going to even talk about that triggering event. Anything that came up, like today is just going to be positive. I know that you want to talk about this. I want to talk about it too, but we need some happy times, right? So even before you can get to this difficult conversation and not be triggered, you need a basis. So if your relationship with your child is so contentious that you can't get through 
a conversation. You can't expect to have listened to this podcast and say, well, Nicole said that I'm just going to go in and not use my, you know, not be triggered and blah, blah, blah. You know, you have to be very honest about where you're at. And so for us, that nonviolent communication was so much more basic. It was simply, let's not let's not talk about anything. That's, that's a hot topic is what they called it. So anytime a hot topic came up, that's the, the terminology we came up with. They would say, this is a hot topic. We're going to just be happy today. And they would do wonderful things. And eventually they built up to where they could, they had that foundation to expand those skills mm-hmm. to where they were able to identify the triggers and they were, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the things that you're talking about. Let's, we keep bringing up triggers and let's talk about <laughs> triggers and teenagers and, and sure. that we all get triggered and yeah. um, it's a lot about our own capacity to be self-aware enough, right? And in order to make different choices when we get triggered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what is a trigger? Um, a trigger is, let me see, it, it really is like an emotional response we have to something that happens. But that emotional response is not necessarily about the only about what's happening in front of us. So if our child, um, I'm trying to think about a great, um, so another mom I work with, she was triggered by her kids not listening to her, right? And in exploring this, we discovered that as a child, she really was the youngest child. They were very poor. Everybody had to work. They were scraping every moment to, to just survive. So this little child that she was, was really pushed to the side and she was not heard. So now as an adult and as a mom, she's being triggered by her children not listening to her because no one ever listened to her. So that is what we mean by a trigger, right? So in the moment she's being triggered because she's not feeling heard. Her voice is is being invalidated by these creatures that she created now, right? And so she couldn't understand why her responses were so extreme to them. And once we identified them and once we gave them her um, words, she was able to see it and then she wasn't triggered as much. Um, And so that's so sophisticated if you think about it. And if you think about it, even for, you know, I always say for us in the biz, like we're so trained and we're still triggered, you know? So, So it's not about blame. It's not about guilt. It's not about judgment. It's about growing your understanding you know, that is, that is so much a part of everything I do in my program is, is, is moving away from judgment and moving away from the things that we've done to survive thus far and really just learning to have an understanding of it so that we can label it and we can change it. And in doing that, like I, I alluded to earlier, we are role modeling for our children. And, and that's best how we're going to teach them. That's the quickest way we're going to teach them. You know, we could, we could, talk at them and point at them um, till, the, till the cows come home, right? But the quickest way to get change from them is in, in modeling through our own behavior. And so recognizing those triggers, maybe even talking about them. I'm huge. With teens, we have this idea that we need to like, uh, that they're still children and they are, but they are growing into adulthood and, and they benefit from us being open. Like I've learned that this is my trigger and this is why I react this way. So let's work together. What are some of your triggers? You know, can you identify them? All right. Well, what about that time when you screamed at me? What were you feeling? Well, that's a trigger. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
and just to go away from triggers just a little bit, I was going to bring something up. I tell my sure. students when I'm teaching human development, um, from a neurologic standpoint, teenagers are a more like toddlers than they are like children in terms mm -hmm. of the rapid growth, but they're in the emerging adult body. And so our job is really to keep a safe space, create the container for our teenagers to go through this huge transformation that's very similar to toddlerhood from a neurologic yeah. and physical perspective, but also recognize that they're also growing their maturity and they're at the point of needing to form their own identity. And so isn't it that push-pull dynamic? And we tend to instinctively treat them as if they're adults a lot of the time, unless mm -hmm. we want them to be our child for the moment. Mm -hmm. And in reality, we wanna create space for them the way we created for them when they were itty bitty, mm -hmm. so that they are safe and loved and we're not trying to have long conversations with them when they're in the midst of a crisis. And yet we also need to be creating that space to allow them to get their wings to fly. Um, <laughs> a lot Absolutely. of metaphor there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm great at metaphors, almost too much. Sometimes I'm like, I need to stop. These people are just think I'm crazy. But um, I agree with you 100%. That's a huge part of my program that I work with moms with. Um, is that really like understanding when something's going on, learning when to address it and when to step back, let it happen, and then go back to them. Um, you know, not trying to have these really super long conversations with them, but also, you know, like you said, creating that safe, that safe space, but not being so threatened um, by the dance they do in and out of adulthood, right? Um, we have to, we have to, like you said, we're almost like cradling the child in them and allowing them to be a child, but also modeling for them and, and giving them space to be adult. But again, it's that dance. Like we can't allow them to be too much of adults because they don't have the impulse control. They don't have the life experience to truly be adults you know, and then we get mad at them if we're like, you know, we give them too much freedom and then they mess it up mm -hmm. and then we get mad at them, but they don't, we gave them too much. And, and it's just a dance. Um, it's a dance that they have, that we all have to learn to do. Absolutely. And I, I think with my own children, cause I have a six year old son and a 16 year old daughter. I, I have confidence in my daughter that she can make a lot of her decisions for herself at this point, but I also am very clear about if she's having a hard time, I'm not letting her go make whatever decision she wants in the midst of an emotional crisis. And so when I see the escalation in her emotional stability and you know she's more volatile, I tend to tuck her in and, and say, okay we're we're talking we're figuring this out and even if that means i talk to her for two minutes and then she comes back when she's ready um but that's a hard dance as you said mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. because we want to we want to protect them we want to make sure they're making good decisions and sometimes they just have to work through it um mm -hmm. You know, and thinking about our girls, you know, we often want to protect them when it comes to the emerging desire for relationships. Yes. And 
making those decisions for them, but the more we try to control those aspects, the more they're going to push us away, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, and, and that is, that is so hard. The relationship having been through three teenage girls, um, two of them who I just dated guys that I just knew were wrong for them, you know? Um, and I always think my, my last one got the best of me, you know, like you just become a better mom with each one. Um, and, and I really learned with her, you know, one key phrase that I, I felt was a true gift that I was able to give her was you have a really good head on your shoulder and I trust you to make a really good decision here. Um, and so, and then stepping back and I really wish I had those words with my first daughter, you know, um, rather than, I think she's the one who got the most of the, oh my gosh, what are you doing? You're ruining your life, you know? <laughs> and then I would come back and say, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I handled that, handled that poorly. Um, but, uh, it, it is truly very difficult with the relationship because I think, you know, going back to that awareness of ourselves as human beings and our, and our own journey through life, mm -hmm. our daughters going, entering that stage really triggers a lot of our own fears, whether we had um, been in an abusive relationship or maybe we had been um, sexually assaulted or, you know, all, all these things that, that we had experienced that we worked so hard to protect them from now they're so vulnerable to. Absolutely. And so being able to see them and hear them and love them and quiet that fear inside of us is, you know, it's definitely a time to seek expert help to walk through this path for sure. Definitely. You know? Definitely. Yeah. Um, and there's so much here to talk about. I, I, you know, in addition to relationships, it's also helping them be able to feel like we trust them enough to make the decisions. But, you know, you and I have both said this, but I think it's important to reiterate, we have to keep good lines of communication open. Um, Absolutely. That's something that I'm often shocked by the fact that so many of my daughter's friends don't talk to their parents and yeah. so I end up in situations that are unusual in terms of they're coming to me mm -hmm. instead of talking to their own parents about decisions often that are way beyond the scope of me being their friend's mother and so right. For the audience, we as people in the biz would like to help you all <laughs> to yeah. feel confident to be able to talk to your own children. Not like we will turn them away, but <laughs> but we really want all of you mothers to be empowered to yes. be comfortable having these conversations with your girls. Um, For sure. And I think, you know, I, I say that a lot also in, in my group and in uh, my program is that I don't want to be the one they can come to. I want to be the one that you call me and say, okay, did I handle this right? Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, you know, and it, it's important to, to put this out there. I have a lot of moms who say, yep, we're, we're best friends. And she tells me everything. And the daughters will then come into my office and say, she is, I, I love her. I tell her everything, but I don't tell her this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that if we, if we even think back on our own 
teen years, our own young years, those are things we needed the most guidance with. And oftentimes, you know, um, we repeat patterns, no matter what we say, we're, we say, we're, I'm not going to be like my mother, or I'm going to do things different, or I'm, and we repeat them. It is very difficult to not inadvertently repeat patterns. It takes a lot of self-awareness and a lot of work and work with a professional most times um, in order to break those patterns. So I would say to anyone listening to really do some deep thoughts about where you were and is there, is there a way you might be repeating those patterns with your daughter? And if you find that you are, how can you get vulnerable and how can you get real with her? And maybe just, just talk about what, where you were at and how you don't want to repeat it and even asking her, so what do you need from me? How, how, can, I, how can I do this differently to, to better connect and support you? Um, but I just think it's important for us all to kind of ask ourselves that because we all think we're doing better than we are. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and both of us are people who are in the business. So we also, you know, have so much knowledge. And there are many moments where I feel like I'm the cobbler whose child has no shoes. It's like, yes. because I'm so aware of the way things can be done, should be done, dot, dot, dot. And in the moment, we still can get triggered. We still mm -hmm. can make the wrong decision in that moment. We can lose our mm -hmm. temper. And mm -hmm. I think that's important to remind everybody is that no matter how knowledgeable we are, no matter how book smart we are about all of this, we are still human. And mm -hmm. our humanness and our vulnerability is what communicates the most to our children and to mm -hmm. our teenagers, not, you know, my PhD or your MSW. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's just that presence. It's, it really is. You know, if you can, if you can just take forward with you the fact that, you know, everybody needs to feel seen, heard, and understood. Yeah. And it, and if that is your mantra, and you're always coming from a place of love, you're gonna mess up. We all mess up, but you're going to you're going to get righted on the right path for your family, whatever that might be. Absolutely. Um, should we unpack what it means to be vulnerable with our kids a little more and give some more examples around that? Um, because I feel like that's a really important piece of this. Um, and it's one that some people are a little wary about even in their adult relationships. Um, we often wear a lot of masks, we, we take on roles, but to truly be heart-centered and vulnerable is a little bit more challenging at times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a hard one even for me to, to explain, you know, so, so it is so hard to do. And I think it's hard to explain because it, it is something different for everybody. It really is like my level of vulnerability is probably, um, you know, a hundred times more vulnerable than uh, somebody else who might be, you know, have experienced different things. Um, you know, I've spent my career sitting in vulnerability, so it's easier for me. It's not as threatening. In fact, it's an honor for me to be vulnerable and to have someone trust me to, enough to be vulnerable with me. So I think what it means is, you know, when you're, it, it goes back to initially starting with being present, right? If you're fully present, you're not thinking about what you're making for dinner. You're not thinking about what you have to do. You're, you're present in that moment. 
and I think you're also sharing pieces of yourself. You're not, you're not putting on that perfect mom mask or that perfect social worker mask. Like you've heard, you know, those of who are listening to us have heard us both say, you know, struggles that we've had with our daughters. Mm -hmm. That's being vulnerable. I could, we could easily come on here and say, well, because of my education and blah, 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 I've, I've worked with thousands of moms and that's just not my style. I am like, I, you would turn this off, but if someone's vulnerable and saying, oh my gosh, I sat up all night trying to figure out what I to do with my daughter, uh, probably every mom who listens to this can identify with that. And that's being, at least in my my terms being vulnerable, you know, just showing up real. Um, and I, I think one of the struggles that moms might have is like, how real do you get with your kid? And I think you can be too real. Yeah. You know, we do know the moms that are just way oversharing. <laughs> so you have to kind of take a self inventory, I think. You know, I think, I, I don't think, I think all moms are equipped with what they need. They just have to trust that they have what they need or, or speak to somebody if you don't trust it. Um, reach out to me. I'll walk you through it. I don't mind. We'll put my, my contact information on here, join my group, you know, and we could talk about it. But um, yeah, I think that you have to walk that line. It's that dance again. Like, do I tell them, you know, about all the drugs I did or do I tell them about how it wasn't perfect? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I have a member of my family who had a really, really, really rough adolescence. And now she's the mother of four daughters. And she chooses to not share anything with them about her adolescence. And I have been in the position where um, I am put in very uncomfortable positions because my daughter knows more about my my family members um adolescents than her own daughters do and so i try not to overshare but kind of i see this aspect of authenticity and vulnerability as like peeling back the onion when my daughter was 11 i shared with her my coming of age story and and going through puberty and that kind of information but i wasn't telling her about crazy exploits when i was 15 and 16 now she's 16 and I'm trusting her to take a car and drive with her friends. I want her to know more about the realities of, you know, what it feels like to be in, an, uh, in a compromised situation mm-hmm. and how it's not always as cut and dry as just saying no to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sometimes it's someone you trust decides to encourage you to do something and you really feel like you don't have a way of saying no so how do you get yourself out of a situation like that um either sexually or related to drugs and alcohol um it's not it's not this just say no model it's really a lot more complicated right absolutely absolutely (laughs) yeah for sure and i think that when you can show up vulnerably like that they know that they can come and talk to you you know, so many of us are caught in situations that we don't know how to get out of and situations that you really need mom's help with and mom's guidance. And if you don't feel like you can go to mom, you're left alone. I mean, there's, there's probably, gosh, hundreds and hundreds of, of young women that I have worked with that if, if they would just let mom in, if they would just let her know, but mom 
you know, as, as one of the examples you gave was so perfect in her mask that the fact that that mom might understand or have lived through it or could help you through it or wouldn't judge you, especially when, when issues of, of sex come up, that's very hard for girls to go to their parents because once they've become sexually active, whether they've gone all the way or not, they feel that they will be judged. They're not the little girl anymore. They're not looked at as the princess. So things that, that the uncompromising situations they might be in, they don't ever get help for, or they stay in them too long, you know? Absolutely. And I, something you said made me think about something else I'd really like to talk to you about, which is I am very much a feminist. My listeners will understand that I I'm a feminist mama. I, I think we also need to unpack the way that we frame our little girls as princesses and the idea of putting them on pedestals. Because to me, that's something that um, actually inevitably ends up causing harm at some point or another, whether it's related to eating disorders or body image or their ability to be vulnerable to us when they do start making choices that they may not perceive us as agreeing with. Um, and I'm not saying we have to do away with all the Disney princesses. I'm a fan of, you know, some of that mythology, but I, I do think we need to be a bit more conscientious perhaps about how we frame that mindset and that um, way of being with our girls when they're younger, even than adolescents. Absolutely. Cause that's when it starts, right. You know, and, and it's just, it's just so ingrained in us, you know, our, our little princess, our little beautiful girl. And, you know, they, they, we are all of those things, but we are also so much more, you know? And so I think in everything, it goes back to balance, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's a, there's a book that I love. In fact, um, we're having our first grandchild. And so, um, I, we're bringing a book instead of a card and the book is called, and I cannot think of the author, but I give it to every little girl that I know. It's called the paper bag princess. Have you heard of it? I, I love that book as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you know, she's just this perfect princess and she ends up saving the prince and he's not grateful. And she's just like, well, forget you. And she hops off into the prince, into the, into the sunset. And I think that, you know, balance, like, yeah. They can be wonderful and you could be, we all are beautiful in who we are, but we also can be welders and strong and independent and the money makers and, you know, all of the things, all of the things yeah. we can be, you know? Well, and, you know, we are both of the era of free to be you and me. And I feel like in 2020, we really need to remind the world of what the messages were in that work. I mean, Marla Thomas and company were putting out there stories and alternative messaging that I sure wish we had still now in 2020. Somehow we backlashed from that era. And that's kind of what I'm really asking for right now, for our daughters and our sons to live mm -hmm. in a world where it's okay to be fully human, to be fully Absol vulnerable, to be strong. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that just, I think we just kind of take for granted. I think that's what happened to our generation. Like the generation before us fought so hard and then we got so much. And then we're just like, all right, we got it. It's here. You know, that's it. 
and we didn't really pass that message on that like my do- my mother and my grandmother gave to me and so you know we're kind of seeing this very um lesser of a I, I can't think of the words right now but you know what I mean they're they're not as as a, a, aware of the need to to be all and to project all and to fight for all so Absolutely. And I'm, I'm hoping my 16-year-old is is a fierce activist, and so and I I see that in the March for Our Lives kids out of um, Parkland, Florida. I think in this Gen Z group. So your daughters are predominantly millennials, and mm-hmm. the millennials somehow from the Gen X and younger baby boomers somehow didn't get as much of that messaging. But now these really the high school students now and young have a fierceness about them and I'm really happy to see that um and yeah. for that um so I you know I don't usually get super like generational political stuff <laughs> conversation uh really brought that to the forefront of my mind because this isn't just about the micro it is like the personal is political in some ways and by empowering our daughters and and checking in with ourselves so that we can be vulnerable with them, we do have the potential of, of shifting the paradigm in, in our society. Yeah, for sure. It's, <laughs> it's exciting time, for sure. It Absolutely. Is, it is. <laughs> um, so I, I, now I just thought maybe I'd talk a little bit more with you about some of the nuts and bolts of, of what it means to work with someone like you and, um, some of the other challenges that you often see in your clients and how we can share that with the podcast listeners, some lessons for the road. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Um, well, you know, my biggest offering is um, I have a Facebook group where I offer free content all the time. Um, and that is um, Moms Raising Confident Daughters um, on Facebook, or you can look me up, Nicole McDonald um, on Facebook. Um, I also have a website, Leading with Love. It's leadingwlove.com. And, um, and what I do is I have a um, group coaching model um, that I do online. And I work with moms of teen daughters. And um, I really help them to, I help them to pause really in the beginning. And really, because we get so caught up in the, the drama of the, the disconnect and the fighting and, you know, trying to wrangle them in and get them on, on the right path that um, we need to pause. And I get them to pause and kind of identify what it is, their triggers, where they come from, where do they want to go. And then we start breaking down like communication styles and what do your your children need from you and how do you turn that around and and it is amazing what I see I've had I have one mom in particular and I I'll be totally vulnerable and transparent here I just did it on the coaching call I was not sure how I was going to help her was not sure they were really in in a bad spot and I didn't know how I was going to get them from that that arguing that disrespect onto a path where they're connecting Mm -hmm. and after us working together you know she would tell him tell um 
her son particularly to do something and he would say no you, you're telling me to do or this is a punishment so now I'm not going to do it and there was a divorce involved and it was just there's so many complicating issues and within a month of working with me and working this program she calls me up and she says oh my god Nicole oh my gosh I came home and he was mowing the lawn and had asked me what he could do to help me today and it was just right it was mind-blowing and I've seen that over and over and over in different situations with moms that I'm working with and that goes back to what we talked about earlier where it's that little shift that mm -hmm. you're so unaware of that creates profound huge impact in your family so um and so how do you reach me you know through Facebook through my website um, my, uh, email is, uh, you know, Nicole, uh, McDonald coach at Gmail. And I would love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, some, some tips for the road. <sighs> my biggest tip, and it comes from a team. It does. It started from a team is that yelling never works. And those, that's a direct quote. Yelling never works. So if you find yourself yelling, mm -hmm. just stop, walk away, stop and walk away and regroup. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're yelling, you're not getting through to them. You're shutting them down. You're, there's no way you're accomplishing whatever mission you had. Walk away, make sure you're leading with love and um, make sure that you are clear on what your agenda for that conversation is. Because if you don't have a clear mission, you're not going to get anything accomplished. And as someone who, who constitutionally is a yeller, I, I will second what Nicole is saying. And I, I'll also validate those of you out there who are a little more hot-tempered like I am and say, you know, if you yell, make sure you come back around and apologize for that and, mm -hmm. and really figure out what it is that you are trying to get through to your children and find a peaceful, loving way to communicate it. Um, this has been one of the hardest lessons for me as a parent because I, you know, am very much the Latin temper. I was born in New York City. I, to two New Yorkers, I have this quick temper hardwired in me. And yet, you know, I also study mindfulness and presence. And so when that happens, we can forgive ourselves and we can seek forgiveness from our children. Mm -hmm. Um, but yelling and expecting to accomplish our mission is not getting yeah. us anywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that's a huge part of the program is we really work on what does that look like when you go back to them? Mm -hmm. What does that conversation look like? And how do you do it in a way that engages them and, and forgives yourself and forgives them and still has consequences? You know, I am not a mushy, gushy, you know, don't have consequences person. I think that is one of the things that my generation and raising our kids did is we were not clear on what our expectations were on um, what, what it meant to have expectations and what it meant to have follow through and consequences. Um, I'll own that for my generation of parents <laughs> because it, it's true. And then we find ourselves with 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds who are not listening, but we didn't guide them. We didn't teach them. Right. So. Right. And it's the whole thing. I mean, not to end this with like a super professorial thing, but we know from the research that the higher our expectations and the higher our responsiveness and love, 
the closer to those two things being in perfect harmony, the more effective we are both as parents and as teachers. And so if we are lacking in the expectations and the clarity about our standards for success, we, mm -hmm. we aren't helping our children any more than the parents who run around yelling at them and have unrealistic ex expectations um, and can't offer love and responsiveness. Um, yeah. We, we yeah. want that balance, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we wanna raise successful human beings who love us and come home on the holidays and bring our grandchildren around like that's really the goal and so if we're not heading in that direction we need to stop and reach out to me i will absolutely get you on that path um and if not me to somebody else because you do need that balance life is about it's about balance it truly is it is yes as we wrap up i think there's a lot here for all of our listeners um some of this is about self-love we don't have time to do a whole nother show right now um self-love helping our our daughters have self-love and finding the balance between our expectations and our our responsive loving nature with our children so we can be there with them um Thank you, Nicole, for your time. It's been a great pleasure having you on the show. I want to have you back. I think I thought of like 20 other topics. To yeah, I'm so excited. I could talk forever about, about it. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with Michelle, please visit www.drmishtish.com dot com.